This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. So the title decider didn't quite live up to expectations. Perhaps Arsenal's previous three games were a portent for what might happen, but they weren't quite at it and Manchester City really were. And now they've added whacking it long to Erling. Can anyone stop them? A huge win for Nottingham Forest over tired Brighton and Trent pulls the strings in midfield for Liverpool at West Ham. Also today, was Graham Potter actually doing a good job at Chelsea? Five defeats, one goal now for Frank Lampard as the West London mid-table bun fight for ninth gets exciting. We'll round up Tuesday's games, Jamie Vardy reminds us of 2016. Wolves are probably safe and Villa win again. Spurs sack the interim. Sheffield United are promoted. And there's a lot of spaceship rearview mirrors Star Wars feedback to get through. All that plus your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Jonathan Fadubba, welcome. Good morning, Max. Hello, Barry Glenn Denning. Hello, Max Rushton. And in the we've bottled it Arteta out role, Nick, <laughs> Nicky Bandini. Hi, Nicky. Morning, Max. Uh, right, so then the top of the Premier League looks like this. Arsenal uh, uh, played 33, 75 points. Manchester City played 31, 73 points. They beat Arsenal 4-1 at the Etihad last night. Kieran says, is this three points lost by Arsenal or no points gained? <laughs> Um, and uh, David says Pep has spent his whole career dominating possession in the opposition half but lately he's invited the opposition press before City get it launched Max do you think this proves he's a pod listener and if so would this make you the greatest football mind of our time I mean I'd have to share it with John Bruin but uh, let's look at the game overall I mean Jonathan Manchester City were brilliant in this game brilliant on the counter brilliant playing it short brilliant going long yeah I thought it was as close to a complete performance as I've seen maybe in the Premier League era, it was it was that good uh, from the first minute, just complete domination. Uh, I think one of the interesting things in the pre-match press conference, uh, in the pre-match show, was Arteta kind of saying that they have a plan and um, he noticed that City aren't playing anyone with a left foot in their team and he had a sort of cheeky gleam in his eye saying, they've got a plan, we've got a plan and, and he sort of looked really confident and as if he had some mastermind going into the match but Pep really, to be honest, just outthought outthought him in terms of the way they approached it. Yeah, like you said, pretty much the tactic was get it get it up up the field and just booted it, booting it high to Haaland and him bringing it down. And then the the runs of the Bruyne off of Haaland in behind part, uh, Thomas Party and Granit Xhaka was just just superb. De Bruyne is, I mean, I don't know where he goes down in the Premier League like list of greatest ever Premier League players in, in, since nineteen ninety two anyway. Um, but he's certainly one of the best I've seen. He's so good. And um, he just exploited that space so like so well. Um, and I think that is one of the other factors of City, isn't it? De Bruyne is just such a clutch big game player that he 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 found those spaces and and he kind of took the control of the game himself. Really, um, Arsenal were they, they just struggled to get into it. It was kind of men against boys. They really they really looked even in the tunnel before the game as they were walking out. They, they just kind of looked a bit nervous. And yeah, City just destroyed them. Really, it was um, it was a brilliant performance. Barry have. Has Pep sort of refined getting it launched? A friend of mine, Nick, uh, who I work with at Stam, was saying like, that he texted me in the game going, they've gentrified Big Sam. I mean, because that, that, the first goal is at the same time beautiful, but it is also a high up the field just to two incredibly good footballers. Yeah, I think your friend is only saying it's been gentrified because it's Pep Guardiola who's luring himself to do it, you know, and 
holding the tip of his nose between thumb and index finger as he instructs the the long ball over the press. Um, if it works, it works, and uh, the that that was what happened. There was a, a just a welly up towards Erling Haaland on the halfway line. He uh, Rob Holding isn't strong enough to deal with him, and he he plays it behind him to Kevin De Bruyne who who canters on and with three defenders around him still manages to find the bottom corner with a you know laser like precision um, and there's nothing wrong with scoring goals like that uh, Kevin De Bruyne and Erling Haaland absolutely ran amok last night the game well I think the game was beyond Arsenal at half time but it should have been absolutely beyond them because they barely got a sniff of the ball. And you said in your intro that this sort of title decider didn't really live up to expectation. I think it kind of did because everyone, I'm not sure anyone really thought Arsenal would win this game. On the back of their past three performances, even Arsenal fans seem to have an air of fatalism going into this game. But uh, they were absolutely monstered in every single department. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Kevin De Bruyne, like, I, I understand the sort of the point about the directness of the football, but I mean, even just the strike, the actual strike itself, take out the move on that first goal, the bend on it is outrageous. He's an outrageous footballer and and so is Erling Haaland. I was sort of thinking some of the commentary on, on BT last night, they were saying, oh, you know, Rob Holding, he's just got to make that foul. He's just got to go through Haaland or something and bring him down to, to interrupt the move. And, and I understand the sort of idea of it, but I mean, Holding was all over Haaland. Holding was climbing on his back. The point is, it doesn't matter. It almost feels like in sort of a video game where like you've got into an area you're not supposed to be yet. And they just, you're, you're playing against the, a character who's too leveled up for your character to deal with. Like you just, there's nothing you can do about it. These, these footballers are are too good. And of course, like it's it's very easy to get sort of swept up in that in a sort of one-off game because look, um, these sort of aren't, they're, they're brilliant footballers, but they're not untouchable footballers. They haven't won every single game this season. There are, there are sort of things you can do differently. And I think absolutely the way Arsenal approached this game um, unfortunately did play into their hands a bit. I think that sort of wasn't just pressing high, but pressing high and then not having a very high defensive line just created these gaps in between the um uh, the, the team in the middle of the pitch which the midfield were not up to covering and, and I think that was the problem for them but having said that yeah City are, are ridiculous these are ridiculously good footballers Erling Haaland in that first half could have scored like two or three more goals if it wasn't for some very good saves by by Ramsdale and some of them were just Again, like ridiculous, he'd be in a position where you think he's not really a threat from there. And then suddenly there's just that momentary burst, that little surge of acceleration, that violence in the shot. And you think, Christ, he can literally score any time he's got the ball. That They're just a brilliant football team. And as sort of frustrating as it is to be on the other side of it, as a, as a fan of the other team, my, my Arsenal fandom is well acknowledged, they're just better. They just are. And, and, and that's, you know, a disappointing thing to have to admit after a long season when you've been top of the table for most of it hmm. I, mean, I, th I think you're right as well to to really analyze that first goal because he's got so much to do De Bruyne like he's the, you're right the finish is so good but at pace to control that ball but also he kind of I've never really associated him with being quick but like he just 
those defenders just don't exist in that. And I don't know if it's just him, the way he uses his body, but but they, they Jonathan, have an, a real understanding there. Right? I mean, they combined about three or four times. And I don't know if De Bruyne is sort of almost playing up front now or, or like who's further forward. I, it was just like, it looked like a classic sort of in a way, sometimes like a classic big man, little man partnership. Well, De Bruyne's just got the ability to read the game perfectly. And he's not, it's not he's massively quick he, he he doesn't really need pace because he he can shift the ball as a dribbler like into the perfect position so if you look at that first goal it's not that he it's not that he's quick and sort of burst past the player he just pushes the ball just enough distance past the player that he can get past him using his using his own space if you know what i mean so it's not as if he's rapidly you know really really quick it's just that he knows how he got perfect positioning of passes shots positioning of like a run um, the intelligence to make the run is if you watch it back, I think there was a, h- a high angle of it. He can either go left or right off, off Harlem, but he, he reads where the ball is basically going to be played from, from, and which defender to go at essentially. Um, and sort of curls his run round, um, holding who's already been held off by, by Harlem and then round G- Gabriel. So it's, it's both center backs he, he, he pretty much took out of the game with his, his play. So it, re- it really sums up how, how good a player De Bruyne is. The second goal as well is just, just so, so calm. Um, he's working well off off Harlem, but I think I think the kind of like going long um, thing, while it is quite funny, I, I think it is a bit of a disservice to Pep because City have basically almost completed like football in a way in terms of how they can approach a game. Like if you like from Arsenal's point of view, what what could they really have? Like in a way, they, there's not really much they could have done, and I think that's what stood out from the game is like how good City were, and they they made Arsenal look like a team that. It kind of goes back to the, like for me, it was the Bayern Munich game and how they sort of dismantled Bayern Munich, where you really sort of stood up and thought, wait a minute, this City team, they can pretty much do any kind of style of play that they need. Guardiola said it after the match that uh, Arsenal play with man-to-man pressure. Like that why, they're so, why they've been so good this season is because they harass teams. They're really good at that, that press. And then and then they get they get at you and they did it in the Emirates in the game, he, he said as well. And then, and, then they, and then they find a solution that way. So... Pep basically just decided to kill that whole tactic and just go just go along, which they can do, as we saw yesterday, equally as effectively. Haaland could easily have had four goals, um, so it could really have been six, seven, one. They were almost lucky Arsenal to get to get away with a four-one. That's how how bad they were um, compared to City. And 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 that's the thing, really. They if you if you sort of sit back and go deep on them, they they, they can kind of play with two eights and then just sort of ticky tacker it around you. If you know what I mean. If you if you try and go man-to-man pressure and really press them you know they've always had Edison who can kind of just ping an 80 70 80 yard pass um and Edison's like a key part of that game so I think that's the difficulty with playing City at the moment and you know they're really good in possession really good out of position and Pep just knows how to play each and every team so that's what makes them so so dangerous at the moment I think honestly it was a it was a complete performance really I thought it was phenomenal I think like what you're saying there Jonathan is is really interesting because I I think Pep clearly is is a a brilliant manager who, who looks around and keeps learning is the, is the point with him. And I think that looking at European football the last couple of seasons, certainly with, with Real Madrid sometimes in their run to the Champions League last season, there was this sense of like, hang on, this team doesn't feel like they're dominating, but they just know how to play that quick strike football and exploit that pace and explosiveness they've got. And I, and I see the same pattern repeating. I'm not saying to the same level, but again, in this season's competition with a team like Milan knocking out Napoli, it's because in a cup competition, when you've got to win the big games, when it comes down to these matches, sometimes it's not about have we got um, more of the ball. It's just about can we be game-changing in those moments and look 
City also had more of the ball last night. That's how dominant they were. But the point is they are capable of those accelerations. And I think that the game is really about accelerations at the moment in in the big matches anyway, in the matches that that, that matter. I think that ability to 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 sort of I don't know, sort of uh, go from from naught to a hundred is is what's defining those matches a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean I guess that's a testament. Jonathan, to how well Arsenal have done to keep up. And we had a lot of questions like this from Paul saying, apparently you're not allowed to use the word bottled, but surely that's what Arsenal have done. And I suppose it's it's not this game, is it? It's the last three games. It's being 2-0 up against Liverpool, being 2-0 up against West Ham and not beating Southampton at home. Because had those results been different, this changes the whole complexion of this of how people felt before this game. And also, even if this result had been the same, how we'd all be feeling now. Yeah, to a certain extent, I think, you know, if you, if you look at it, Arsenal have dropped... What's that? Uh, sort of eight, nine points now in the last three, four games. So even yesterday could almost have been irrelevant, really. Had Arsenal picked up the two points against the extra two points against Southampton, which you'd have expected them to get at home, and the two points against West Ham, where they were completely in control after you know they made they made West Ham in the first half of that game look like how City made Arsenal look yesterday. If you know what I mean, it was complete dominance until the penalty incident and the nerves and then the wobble. Um, and the same with Liverpool away. You know they they. They had them in complete control for the first twenty minutes. They, you know, they were outstanding. So, you know, those that collection of points they've dropped there is, may end up costing them. But they're still top of the league. Will City win every single game? Maybe, but it's not not guaranteed. So, I think there is the pressure there still on City. To be honest, they're still behind. They've still got it all to do. But they just look so imperious that it's difficult to see where they would drop maybe five the five points necessary. I think with Arsenal, it's not that they've bottled it necessarily they, they've had a they've had a good season to get to this point but I think I don't think I've seen a, a tight sort of title decider game be so one-sided if that made sense like all the hype around Arsenal that we've had for the last few months they they, they just killed it so easily and I think that's maybe the worrying thing Arsenal didn't really lay a glove on City at all the bottling thing like it's it's a discussion for fans right and fans are going to say you bottled it whether you, whether there's rhyme or reason to it anyway because that's what fans do they, they rile each other up I think it's reasonable to say that Arsenal have have lost their nerve quite badly in the last few games. And like, I think when you go 2-0 up twice in a row, don't win either of them and then concede three at home to last place. Yeah, you can you can definitely say that's not the level they've been playing at. And so, yeah, that's bottling it. That's, that's what that is. I don't think, just to sort of put the fan hat firmly on for a second, I don't think anyone that I speak to expected Arsenal to do anything other than lose this game. I really don't. I think this game, the whole reason that everyone was so anxious about the last few games, the whole reason there was a whole, perhaps the squad felt it, the whole sort of feeling going into these last few games is because everyone thought, yeah, City will beat us when it's City against Arsenal because that's just how it goes. And yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's simultaneously, like two things can be true at once. Yeah, you can say they bottled it because they kind of have. But also... This team hasn't been in the Champions League for six, for seven seasons and they've been top of the league for the entire season. Like it doesn't make it suddenly a terrible season. It makes it a really crappy end to a season. Sorry, probably shouldn't use the word, but like it's not suddenly well, like... I mean, worse words have been said on the pod, Nikki. You're, you're <laughs> safe. It's not, it's not suddenly like like this was hugely unexpected in some way because like I said, like I, I don't know anyone that I speak to who thought, oh yeah, they can go to City and win because it, it doesn't reflect... Not just how Arsenal are, but how ridiculous City have been. I mean, again, I think if you sort of looked at the beginning of this run of what is it, 17 games now since they last lost it? More than that, I can't remember. They've only drawn three times in that run, two of which are Champions League games that effectively don't matter because they're winning the tie anyway. Like, if you can win all of these games from the beginning of February onwards, when you're playing every three days forever, 
you deserve everything. Like, if you're that good, and City are that good, and that's kind of the point. Andy says, why haven't you got Jordan Jarrett Bryan on? This is the only time we actually want to hear from him. <laughs> on Jordan. Jordan did tweet, all the talk will be that Man City will be champions, and the smart money is, of course, on them. But I just want to remind people, they're still second. At least let them go top before you anoint them champions. To which the first response was from someone called Alex, says, this is peak, someone's been fired on The Apprentice vibes, which I liked <laughs> a lot. I mean, look, you obviously want a more competitive game between the top two but I thought this message from William was interesting in a lot of the talk about should we just give the City the title for the next five years he said look between 1975 and 1990 Liverpool won 10 out of 15 titles between 92 and 2002 Manchester United won 8 out of 11 between 07 and 2013 Man United won 5 out of 7 why then are City 6 out of 11 suddenly the end of football does it feel different to that Barry because of you know the fact they are run by a state and so it just feels harder to get close to them. Yeah, um, absolutely. Of course it does. I mean, uh, there's. let's not forget our old friend, the elephant in the room, the, these 115 charges. Here, here he is. There he is. Is that it? <laughs> I think the elephant deserves to have his say. Um, of course it's different because they've got uh, bottomless resources. They've already been punished for some financial indiscretions and they're facing charges for 115 more. Depending on how those that pans out, these could end up being very hollow victories. I don't think anyone will be campaigning for them to be stripped of titles or anything like that. But it'll certainly leave a very sour taste in a, a lot of mouths. If it was a team I supported, it's not the fans' fault, it's not the players' fault, it's not Pep's fault. They're a brilliant team. They're a joy to watch. They've been very expensively assembled and no one else can compete with, well, apart from Newcastle, can compete with Manchester uh, City's spending. Uh, as I say, not the players' fault, not the fans' fault, not Pep's fault. But if they are found guilty of uh, industrial scale uh, financial shenanigans I, I would hate for that to happen a team I supported a lot of City fans don't care and they'll just go cry more on Twitter with put that silly Kylian Mbappe uh, gif or, or meme or whatever it is um, but this is something that can't be swept under the carpet but as things stand uh, it could, yeah it's, of course it's different to the dominance of other teams who weren't backed by um, nation states with limitless resources of wealth. I don't think the dominance is guaranteed. I think every every great team has a cycle and an era. I mean, if Pep was to leave at the end of this season, it's over for City in terms of like their dominance. So I, I don't really... The, the, the spend thing, I, I, I do get that side of it um, without willing, wishing to go into the whole, like, that, well, that whole debate. But... Um, I just think that they're so they're so good in terms of the players they have and, and the manager they have. If like the De, De Bruyne is in De Bruyne is pushing early thirties now, and you know his, his time is he, he's not going to go on forever at his peak level. I think, and I think I think that was one of the things that gave Arsenal so much hope for me is that De Bruyne started the season not that not that great. He was benched for a while. He's struggling to sort of play ninety minutes every week at the moment, isn't he? even yesterday. Yeah, even in the game against Arsenal, he was taken off with ten minutes to go. He's Physically, he's he's not at his peak anymore. Um, and who will they who would who would they replace De Bruyne with? I mean, he's 
almost irreplaceable in, in in the Premier League. To be honest, if you'd switched De Bruyne and put him in Arsenal's team, I think they, you know, the 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 the, the level they go to is probably as just as good, so or close to it. But um, yeah, I think every team has an era, and and so I'm just I'm giving a counterpoint there to that one because I think that I, I do think that while while they're dominant. Pep, Pep won't be there forever, basically, and, uh, and I think the drop from there is going to be huge. Completely agree. I think I think there's this sort of feeling of inevitability that can sort of permeate in football, but it isn't real. And I think that yeah, City have obviously spent heaps of money, but so have Chelsea lately. And I think right now City don't have the highest wage bill in the Premier League. They do have a wage bill. It's like I think double what Arsenal's is, but it's not the highest in the Premier League. So it's not like they're competing in a in an untouchable ballpark compared to some other teams in the Premier League. And and I do think that probably people as is always the case will appreciate quite how good Pep Guardiola was because it's easy to go oh Pep's got all the money got all the resources they'll appreciate quite how good he was when someone else has to do that job instead of him uh, GM says uh, uh, perhaps slightly less importantly is Erling Braut Haaland ushering in a new era of luxurious hairstyles could we see a return of the perm the mullet and other long forgotten styles in the 70s and 80s Jim says Timothy advert alert a lot of people suggesting that he did you know he didn't score until he let his hair down um, I was a nod to Ruben Neves, who did it the previous night after scoring to reveal that he was high, actually is Highlander. Although Her- Erling has done it, you know, after the whistle's gone at half time before, hasn't he? But anyway, nice to see his locks uh, doing the rounds. And Neil says, thoughts on the PA announcer at City starting the chanting after a goal? Game gone? Or am I being a miserable old cynic? Yeah, I think he started singing, oh, Kevin De Bruyne. I don't think if you've got the tannoy in your hand and you know or the microphone or whatever i don't think that should be acceptable uh, all right that'll do for part one uh, part two we'll begin at the city ground welcome to part two of the guardian football weekly uh let's go to the bottom of the table which looks like this southampton 24 points from 32 games everton 28 points from 32 uh, they play, both play this evening um, we're doing a pod at the end of play this evening as well, which you can hear tomorrow. Uh, Leicester, 29 from 33. Forest, 30 from 33. Leeds, 30 from 33. Bournemouth, 33 from 32. West Ham, 34 from 32. I'll stop there, but, you know, Wolves Palace, Chelsea might get dragged down into it. We'll get to Chelsea in a second. At the city grounds, uh, Forest beat Brighton 3-1. Uh, they're out of the bottom three. And they hadn't won since the 5th of February. This victory, Barry, came from nowhere, but it's massive for them. Huge. And I didn't see it coming. Although I suppose thinking about it, Brighton had a long, depressing day on Sunday and might not have been in the best of moods or form going to the city ground. And to be honest, it's a game that probably could have gone either way, but Forrest took their chances Brighton didn't. Um, even though Forrest missed that early penalty, Jason Steele saving from Brennan Johnson. Uh, Forrest not good at taking penalties. I think that's that three in a row they've missed mm-hmm. or something. Um, but anyway, it didn't matter in the end. And it was a really good performance and a, a much-needed win. Um, Morgan Gibbs-White has been a brilliant signing for them, uh, as has Brennan Johnson, despite his penalty miss. And... Uh, Good goal from Danilo, who who robbed Moy Caicedo, who I think was possibly sold short by a pass from Lewis Dunk. 
it, yeah, an incredibly important win for Forrest. Can they build on it? Only time will tell. And I hope Brighton's season doesn't peter out now that they've been knocked out of the FA Cup. That must have been huge gutting for them. Um, but, yeah, very important win for Forrest. And I suppose, Jonathan, it kind of it makes a mockery of looking at the next fixtures and going, well, that's a win and that's a defeat and that's a that's a draw, even though we'll obviously carry on doing that. And that's what football fans now do and look at fixture lists because there was no way that anyone looked at this and thought, well, this is this is where Forrest will pick up those points. Because of how good Brighton have been this season, yeah, I agree. You wouldn't have thought uh, they would uh, get the win here. But Brighton have a lot of injuries. Obviously, Welbeck didn't play. Um, Evan Ferguson's injured. I don't think there's any real faith in Dennis Undav because uh, I, I think he played in Seesaw up front and, and instead, Deserby. And... Forest have only won two games in this calendar year in the league. I think they've beaten Le- Le- Leeds and Leicester. So it's teams around them, they're, they're finding um, that they're, they're only able to be the teams that are around them at the moment. I feel for Brighton because it just looks like the Spurs controversy, that game where you know they had all those million goals ruled out, it's just knocked them really. And that extra three three points that they may have had is, is significant in terms of they may be getting a Champions League place. Um, they may push for a sort of Europe or Conference League place, which would be amazing still. But I think that's kind of knocked the wind out of their sails a little bit. And then obviously playing extra time and um, and, and with the injuries they have, probably probably maybe sat them a little bit of energy towards the end. But um, really, really important win for Forrest. It, it, it makes the plot thickens at the bottom. And obviously Southampton have it all to do now and Everton in, in their games. Yeah, Nico Williams was taken to hospital with a head injury. Steve Cooper said after the match, had a look when he came off. I saw blood, so fingers crossed it's not too bad. Uh, his health comes first, regardless of results. Uh, Deserby, quite refreshing afterwards, said, look, I think we deserve to lose. Um, he said, said, look, we're retired, we've got injuries, but it's quite refreshing to hear a manager be sort of quite honest about something. Uh, Barry? Uh, I just wanted to ask Jonathan, I, I noticed Brighton introduced another South American teenager last night in Buonanotte, who scores on his debut. Uh did you were you familiar with him before he turned up in the first team last night? No, I'll be honest, I don't know a huge amount about him. Um, came from Rosario Central, which is a team in well from Messi's neighbor, neighborhood uh, in Rosario. Um, but no, I don't I don't know a huge amount of him personally. But Bright, Brighton, their, their scouting in South America is really really good. Um, obviously, they've they've managed to pick another one up, sort of like off the talent talent line, um, and. Looks a decent player, obviously, and Seesaw has been really good as well. Goal against Chelsea was amazing. And even their academy, I think they brought uh, a young player off their bench from, from their academy, um, Aurel Afaya, uh, in that game as well for his Premier League debut. So Brighton just have this pool of talent that they can they can dip into. Ferguson signing a new long-term contract for them as well. Um, they're, just, they're just really good at talent talent ID, really. And uh, Buenanotti is the latest one. Fer- Ferguson, of course, famously grew up in the... The slums of Laytown, <laughs> <laughs> County Meath. I don't know, is that a posh part of, of Ireland? I know, it's a very nice part of Ireland. Uh, it's near the beach. I, I was just going to chime in and say, uh, Facundo Buonanotte is a name that I know. Buonanotte literally means good night in Italian. That's an Italian word. And um, 
and his name's come up in Italy in a few reports I've seen recently because Italy is now, after Rotegi, scouring the world to see like players who have Italian heritage who right. they could bring in. So he's already on some radars in Italy. And they were sort of, I saw some reports just the other day about maybe we could get Deserbi to put in a good word for us. But I think he's already had a call up to the Argentinian senior team, which hasn't played for them yet. Um, I owe um, Evan Ferguson an apology, by the way. He did not grow up in the slums of Leytown. He grew up in the slums of nearby Bessiestown. Noted. Um, I, I, I think it's the best job in the world to be the uh, position-specific I'm the third goalkeeper scout for Brighton. <laughs> I had a look at Scott Carson. He sat very still. He did a bit in the warm-up and then he sat down for the whole game. Uh, um, anyway, let's go, to, let's go to Stamford Bridge, turning into what is objectively hilarious, uh, unless, of course, you're a Chelsea fan. Kieran says, if Frank Lampard didn't know the club, how badly would Chelsea be doing? Uh, Scott, to keep things interesting, should Manchester City be managed by Frank Lampard for the remainder of the season? Colin, could Chelsea still be relegated? Uh, 39 points, probably not. Five defeats in a row for Frank Lampard. Um, and the thing is, Barry, like we, we kind of disagreed about this. I sort of thought that this is a this is a no-lose situation for Frank Lampard. He has to take this job. It's got Real Madrid. You never know. They've got good players. You know, there is no way he can lose unless, of course, he loses every game. <laughs> Then, and then he can lose, quite literally. Yeah, we disagreed about this when he took the job originally. You thought it was a free hit. I thought it could be have devastating consequences on his future prospects as a manager. And I think it is going to have devastating consequences on his future prospects. You know, played five, lost five, scored one, which was a spawny deflection. Uh, that's really awful. And the thing is... This seemed to be one of Chelsea's better performances under him, and they still lost 2-0 at home to Brentford. Nobody seemed even remotely surprised. And, I mean, the Brian Mbwemo goal, the second one, where he, he cuts in from the right, waltzes past Wesley Fofana as if he's not there, and has a look, oh, well, well yeah, just um, buries the ball into the corner. And... He had two or three options he could have crossed to, but he, he didn't need to. And uh, I, look, it doesn't really matter what happens to Chelsea. It looks like Maurizio Pochettino is about to take the job. I'm not sure that's a particularly wise decision on his part, but one presumes he's going to get a massive um, salary package, him and his, his backroom team. And... Yeah, just Chelsea's season is a, an absolute shambles and the sooner it ends, the better. I don't know, is Pochettino going to take over before the end of the season or is he just going to come in in the summer and try and whip things into shape? He's a big job on his hands anyway, that's for sure. An interesting thing about about Chelsea's season is that 10, 10 of their 39 points were under Thomas Tuchel. So 25% of their points this season have actually been gathered by the manager that lost his job in September. Um, and those 10 points, <laughs> without those 10 points, they would actually be near the relegation zone. I think they'd be, well, they'd be on level with Leicester uh, at third bottom. So, you know, thank thank goodness for Thomas Tuchel, I guess, at Chelsea, because uh, although some of them, although he wasn't liked maybe by the hierarchies, effectively saved them from relegation, which is incredible, really. But yeah, they're, they're just a complete mess, I think, at the moment, aren't they? I mean, look, to play the devil's advocate, which I'm not really, but like, I think Buemo's shot, A, it was deflected, but it was their only shot on target, Brentford's. Sort of sums up Chelsea's season. But I don't know, it just seems, Nicky, you sort of think they, they they must win a game by accident at some point, mustn't they? 
Well, it, obviously, my pessimistic hat on, I assume they're going to do it against Arsenal next. But I think what's crazy to me is 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 how um, it's how few goals they've scored, Max. I mean, there's I think four teams in the whole division who scored fewer goals than Chelsea, and Chelsea spent three hundred fifty million dollars, whatever it was. This this uh, this um, I think more than that, um, half a January. half a billion. Spent, oh yeah, in January, right? Yeah, in ja- in January alone, you know, more than every other team combined in Europe's top five leagues. It's bonkers that all that doesn't buy you any sort of goal output whatsoever. But I mean, I, I said what I thought about Frank Lampard last time I was on. <laughs> seems, seems like an oversight, yeah. doesn't it? Seems like an oversight. It's amazing. Oh dear. I mean, it must be wretched to be a Chelsea fan. I guess the, the beauty is seasons end and new ones begin and you're on naught points. So do, do, do you think Pochettino, you're saying, Barry, you don't necessarily think it's a wise move for him. Is it a wise move for Chelsea? I think it is a wise move for Chelsea. But, it, you know, if Pochettino takes the job, is Todd Bowley and the other fella, are they going to interfere? Are they going to be giving demoralizing dressing room speeches you know, after bad performances? Um I, I think we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg of Stamford Bridge chaos, you know, and uh, it's quite funny actually. <laughs> my, we we sort of my mates WhatsApp group, and one of them on one of the lads, Lewis, you know him. On Tuesday, he he said he had two tickets for Chelsea Brentford, you know, going pretty cheap if anyone wanted them, and he. He just got mocked, ridiculed. <laughs> no one was in the slightest bit interested in taking the tickets, but I thought it was quite brave of him to even come on and offer them because you could see what was going to happen. <laughs> he just got, uh, you know, uh, I, I'll give you a pound for both. Uh, that, yeah. that kind of thing. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, but producer Joel writing, if Chelsea adopted Spurs' policy of refunding fans after a bad performance, how financially ruinous could that be for the squad by the end of the season? Adam says, how pleased is Barry that Ethan Pinnock got man of the match? Well done, Ethan. Can I ask, actually, what, what do people think of this players refunding the the fans? Because, right, you're refu- they're refunding them their ticket prices. It's an away game. What are the tickets? 30 quid? So it's like a, it's a, a gesture, but the real expense is in getting to Newcastle, you know, having your lunch, having a couple of pints, getting home, you know, maybe staying overnight. That's none of that's being reimbursed. I'm loving the idea of, of fans submitting receipts now. <laughs> Here's my expenses from Weatherspoons. This is what I spent in the pub. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I, I chartered, I got a helicopter. <laughs> yeah, and then I and I had the fillet steak. So you owe me a lot of money this time. Do you know what made me think when it was like, it's, it, it was what, 80 grand or something for the Spurs players to pay. I thought, why don't they just do it for every game? Like, they're all getting paid absolute buckets. It would be, it would be not. They could just say this season we're going to pay for all away travel. Of course, it would get slightly ridiculous. You know, I bought my. You know, like fans would really take the piss. Yeah, Jonathan. One side point on that is that I don't know if you guys saw the um the, the news out in Germany where Fortuna Düsseldorf are planning to that they've got a pilot scheme where they're planning to maybe give free tickets to their games. And they'd be funded by sponsors um, from next season, I think, is the, the plan that has been talked about. So what happens if that was to happen? If Fortuna Dusseldorf were to get a, a 5 nil in 20 minutes, are they, what are they going to refund if there's no ticket prices? I just wondered, where, where's that going? If that was to become a, <laughs> if a, that was to become a thing, then... 
maybe where would they go from there? I'd, I'd quite like if every Spurs fan who travels to St. James's Park, they're put in a ballot. And if your name's drawn out, you get to pick one of the players who was involved. So say, and then they have to come around and do odd jobs <laughs> for you. So you get Oliver, I'll have Oliver skip. And he has to spend the afternoon weeding my yeah, garden. That's I thought you were going to say, look, you know, you're going to a hat and one of you gets 80 grand. I mean, I think that would be that would be really fun, wouldn't it? Uh, anyway, uh, to the London Stadium, West Ham 1, Liverpool 2. I think Liverpool probably deserved this, Jonathan. I think, I'm not sure the match of the day highlights seemed quite kind to West Ham. Listening to a lot of people talk about the game, looking at the stats from the game. And it's, match of the day sort of felt quite even, but I think Liverpool had a really dominated. And... Uh, uh, Gary Lineker said, look, Trent Alexander-Arnold is the best passer in English football. And his move into midfield, sort of drifting into midfield, almost made it sound like Jurgen Klopp hasn't told him to. He's just slowly doing it game by game to say, look, here I am. I don't know. Do you think he's the best passer in, in English football? Best English passer or best passer in English football, as in, in the Premier League? I think we've got, I th- should, we, should we go English first? And that's how I inferred it. Yeah, because if he, if he is, then he's forgotten about the... the the sort of uh, reddish-haired Manchester City attacking midfielder, maybe that who, uh, who denied them the title <laughs> yeah. for the for about four of the five years. Uh, English passer, possibly, yeah, possibly from deep. He's, he's 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 you know he can play in that midfield area. And some of the passes he played against West Ham were, were really really good. I think it's just another testament to I think Guardiola in a sense. I don't want to keep hopping on about it, but the fact that he's Klopp's basically adopting his tactics and moved Trent into sort of a more central position and. I think Henderson was drifting out wide in a lot of the game and 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 sort of taking up that space where where Trent could come inside and, and play passes maybe out towards Robertson and he's got a very good angles of passing you know he's he's very intricate obviously the assists for Gakpo yeah he's a very he's a very good passer of the ball and I think maybe natu- his natural position in the future maybe will be in midfield and um I think there were, I think it kind of went in stages of that game didn't it because I, there was there were spells in the game where Moyes said he was really happy and then there were spells where Klopp said that the old Liverpool I, I could see the old Liverpool and things like that so there's maybe a lot for them to build on and, and um, you know, towards next season. They still, I think, will have a run maybe towards, might just miss out on top four, but I think if Liverpool go on a run, you could see them maybe finishing fifth. Um, so, you know, it wouldn't be necessarily a disaster season that it, it maybe felt like earlier a few months ago. So um, first time they've won three games in a row as well, I think, this season in the Premier League. So they seem to be getting a little bit of form. Um, I don't have the stats with me at the moment, but I just wondered how long is that since David Moyes beat a team in the top, four or five is he's gone quite a while without beating isn't there some record about beating Liverpool it it it, it makes it sound like you've got it in another <laughs> room <laughs> you haven't got them with you. you do have it just in just yeah. in a spare room um I, I'm I'm not sure I, as far as I know they've only beaten two well I don't know that particular step but West Ham I think have beaten one or possibly two teams in the top half this season there was a moment Barry where where Thiago might have handled the ball and actually I read a lot about it and I listened to a lot about it before I saw it and it made it sound everyone made it sound like he'd sort of lay on the ball and held it with both hands and then sort of shoved it up his jumper or something David Moyes said I can't believe it and it was just the VAR were disrespecting West Ham as a football club the whole bench were furious Kevin Nolan showing Moyes a replay on the iPad but I wouldn't have given it so I I don't know I, I mean I very rarely would give handballs yeah carry on well, he went to ground and sort of, as he fell, his arm hit the ball. And I I didn't think it was a, a handball slash penalty. David Moyes was absolutely incensed 
like really, really angry. And I didn't. Yeah, I'd have been surprised if that had been given. Mind you, I wouldn't have been. Actually, I wouldn't have been surprised if it had been given. Yeah, but, yeah. But I well, didn't think it was. John says, hi, Max. No question. I'd say thanks for Thursday's Football Weekly. For various reasons, I had a busy week. I didn't have the usual time for podcast listening. I was delighted you decided to devote an entire part of the pod to something so boring as the current handball law. I happily skipped right through it. Cheers, John. Well, thank you, John. But if anyone else is interested, please go back to that pod where we try and change uh, uh, the handball law for the better. That'll do for part two. Part three, we'll round up Tuesday's Premier League games, do a bit of Serie A and any other business. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, so big game at the bottom was at Ellen Road. Leeds won, Leicester won. Uh, Leeds had let in 11 in the last two games at home before this. But that Jamie Vardy goal, Jonathan, might feel worse than these. It was nice that Vardy had, you know, just to see Jamie Vardy scoring a goal. That's in his second in 32. The commentator on the international coverage said, there's never any doubt when Jamie Vardy's in that position. I was thinking, well, actually, it's quite been quite a lot of doubt this season about that particular thing happening. <laughs> yeah, there has been doubt. He's gone, I don't know how long without a goal, but uh, quite a long time. And I, it was it was nice because I think Leeds away is, if you're going to, you know, Jamie Vardy is notoriously a bit of a, uh, you know, shithouse, I guess is the word in that sense. Like he, I, I like players that like to wind up the fans, to be honest. Um I do like a little bit of that, and uh, he, he he gave it to the Leeds fans when he scored, scored again, but it was ruled out, of course, and um, that was lucky for Leeds because I think a, a defeat there would have really been really worrying for them and, and and the manager as well. I think there's already talks of Grassi will he keep his job, and it seems to be the sort of like I think the bottom of the league at the moment seems to be a sort of managerial hot seat where it's almost like um, I don't know playing musical chairs or something, and when the music stops, then whoever's standing up you know goes down. Um, because every week it seems like you know, obviously Steve Cooper. The, you know, yesterday against Forest, it was if he loses that, he might get sacked. It seems that like everybody's about to get sacked. I would pay a lot of money to watch all the Premier League managers play musical <laughs> chairs. I would, I mean, absolutely. Who would win? Enjoy Who do you that. Think would win? Well, I don't know. I mean, you sort of imagine Roy would just be sitting down the whole time. It wouldn't really be fair to get Roy to to get up. I don't know. You know, you sort of think the usual suspects like Pep just wants to win so badly. Uh, sad that Conte's not in the Premier League anymore. I think for this because he'd be quite, he'd be quite ruthless. I think at musical chairs. Although obviously he'd be stuck to the formation of chairs, and people would say you've got to change. You've really got to change this. Anyway, do you think? Do you think Frank Lampard would say this is my chair and, and just take one chair? <laughs> I really know this chair. Like I really understand this chair. But <laughs> unfortunately, it's not very well built chair that he'd have anyway I've crucified the uh, musical chairs analogy for this long I, you've probably lost your train of thought uh, you know but go, yeah going back to the game itself obviously Dean, Dean Smith is new as well and you know they, they both had chances obviously the, the band the Bamford miss is what everybody spoke about but I thought it was quite well analysed by, by Michael Owen in terms of his, his body positioning and it maybe not being as easy as it, as it looked um, I thought that was an interesting piece of analysis from Owen which is uh, so what, what, what did he say were the ball was slightly behind him because it did look to the layman, quite an easy chance. Yeah, he he was sort of saying that his um, the weight of his the weight of his body was going in a different direction, and so to reverse and 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 go onto off, off your weaker foot was actually harder than it looked. Uh, and I mean, that sounds silly me saying it, but Michael Owen explained it in quite a, a good way actually for someone who's you know scored a, plenty of goals. So the way he broke it down, I thought was was quite insightful and um, and sort of got. Got Bamford off the hook to a certain extent because most people were like, "How did he miss that?" Uh, the way an old 
the way a, a sort of I would say old lady in the stands, she might be a sort of experienced middle aged lady. The way she broke it down, it just cuts kept cutting to this woman going, "Fuck me," and then it would cut back to something else, and it would cut back to her again, going, "Ah," oh, saying exactly the same thing. Anyway, yeah, it was some miss, uh, but I don't know who who is this result better for. Baz? <laughs> I don't know. I I think Leeds will wonder how they didn't win it because they they had the Bamford opportunity. I mean, I will. I'm happy to bow to Michael Owen's uh, superior knowledge on the matter, but the look in Bamford's face after he missed suggests he he thought he really should have scored. And preceding that, you had um, two good saves from Daniel Everson, one from a a rock ahead or at a corner and the other from a Brendan Aronson shot that he had to save with his legs. So I think Leeds should have won. They didn't. Uh, they play Bournemouth next and Leicester host Everton next. I mean, they're two massive games again. So, yeah, I don't know who's better for her. We'll, we'll find out. There should have been some winning Yonto. That's why they didn't win. He's, he's been having, I'm surprised he's not getting any games under Grassi. It seems like he's sort of, I know he's been injured, but it does seem like he's sort of, not in favour there all of a sudden when he's had quite a good season. I don't know what that's about. No, I, I don't disagree um, if he's fit. Yeah, I know he was injured for a bit, but if he's back fit, then certainly. Uh, yeah, and after Leeds play Bournemouth, they play Manchester City and Newcastle, which is a disappointing couple of games to have in front of you. Um, and James Madison's a nice man, isn't he? I mean, he played really well as well, but like he missed a he missed he was he missed a chart. There was a cross, and he just couldn't reach it. And he sort of just laughed with the Leeds fans about how he was just a bit too short. And then he laughed when he pulled Luke Ayling's shirt at the end. I'm just wondering which club will ruin him. Spurs, maybe it feels like that, doesn't it? I mean, he's probably too good for them, but. Um, anyway, uh, Wolves beat Palace 2-0. Um, Roy Hodgson's freewheeling, free-scoring Eagles didn't last all that long. Uh, now, uh, no games in, no goals in two. Um, I did get an own goal. Anderson needed it with great force, didn't he? And then that penalty, Sam Johnson. I was just typing, he's been really good for Palace. <laughs> and then he two-footed. It was quite Paul Scholes-esque, that kind of, just didn't control it. And then it just, I'll just two-foot this guy. I thought he was quite lucky not to get sent off, actually. I think it was only the fact it was deep in injury time probably saved him. Mm. You you think, Barry, the the celebration from the Wolves players make them think that they're safe now? Ah, they are, yeah. Uh, They're on 37 points. They'll get another couple somewhere and they'll be fine. I think they're fine, Palace. We're down not too long ago, what, it was take your pick three from nine i think now it's three from five isn't it the the pool is getting a little more shallow with each passing week uh the only other thing i noticed from this game was that diego costa increasingly looks like one of the cast from the expendables i mean you could put him in that like just in the back of the plane next to jason statham and i would have not bat an eyelid uh villa beat fulham one nil uh unai emery's scored in all of uh he has not scored in any of the games, but Villa have scored in all of Unai Emery's games in charge. It puts them fifth. Spurs do have a game in hand on them, but, you know, they have to play that game, so they'll probably lose it. Well, the, the thing about Villa, Max, is they have to play all the teams around them. So they've got Man United, Spurs, Liverpool, Brighton. They win all those games. Mm, interesting. Yeah, it could be interesting, couldn't it? Um, uh uh, and, you know, Europa League, Unai Emery thrives in that if they get it. So, you know, it could be great. Well, I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking it could be more than Europa League. You think League. top four? I was looking at Newcastle it's, and Manchester United possible. games. 
Yeah, I can't remember. I think one of Newcastle and Manchester United is quite a tough run in. The other looks okay to me. But look, we'll talk about them on tomorrow's pod. We'll talk about Spurs as well tomorrow. They've got rid of uh, Christian Stellini. Not really a surprise. Uh, Daniel Levy sent out a message signed Daniel. Uh, which all seems very sort of familiar. He's trying to sort of like, sort of like, try and be, you know, like a, like a teacher going, hey, look, you can call me Daniel. Everyone goes, oh, that's fine. That's what you've done to the club in the last, uh, however long, uh, you know, since Pochettino asked for some money all those years ago. I wonder if he could turn back time. Anyway, we'll do Spurs tomorrow. They play Manchester United. Uh, Nicky, Napoli are champions. Sort of amazing video. Was it? I think it was filmed by one of the players in the back of the coach of just like, millions of Vespers and motorbikes in what looked like absolute car, the most dangerous road you could ever be on of just following the Napoli bus. Um, and, you know, we all knew it was going to happen, um, but... But they're not. They're not champions Oh, they're not? They, I mean, they, they are. They are, but they're not. Right, I mean, okay. they, they still... Look, to make it official this weekend, if they beat Salernitana on Saturday and uh, Lazio do not beat Inter away from home, which is quite plausible, Inter picking up again and and um um obviously it's at San Siro but they could become champions this weekend but effectively we all know they are ever since the weekend we've known they are for a long time really but it felt like after the Champions League disappointment um winning away to Juventus with a goal in the 93rd minute of course it was five years ago that Kadu Koulibaly scored in the 93rd minute away to Juventus and they all thought they'd won the league and they hadn't. But this time they really have, even if it's not official quite yet. And yeah, the, the, the celebrations have, have very much begun. Um, like you say, there was, I mean, the team got back into Naples 2.40, well, came out the airport 2.40 a.m. and there were 10,000 fans waiting for them. There were fireworks, there were sort of, you know, fans, the players climbing out the sunroof on the bus to sit on the top of the bus and, and have that sort of celebration. The celebration is going to go for months. It's it's starting before it's even official. It's going to go on all, all summer. I think people who haven't been to Naples before probably don't really sort of still have a picture of what that means. It's not like a localised celebration. Every building you go into, every street you turn down, there's going to be signs of it. There's going to be flags. There's going to be banners. There's going to be murals. There's going to be something everywhere. Um, and yes, the the street conditions, God, Max, I still remember being in Naples, not during any sort of celebration and being on a bus that decided it was going to overtake in a tunnel, in a one lane tunnel going around a corner. <laughs> and that's just a bit of how the roads are there sometimes. But um, yeah, it was um, definitely some scenes there already. I wonder, I wonder what um, Kalidou Koulibaly makes of it all from his current Koulibaly of course with, with the suffering in Chelsea but think of everyone who left in the summer Koulibaly um, obviously is, is off at Chelsea but Lorenzo Insigne who grew up supporting Napoli and then left last summer Dries Mertens who their all-time leading scorer and was so loved there and, and he's not there anymore there's a lot of people who've who've just missed out on this story um, and I think for the most part they're probably going to be happy for their old colleagues back in Naples but um, I'm sure a few of them are sadly missing out as well I love the fact I read your whole report and missed the vital bit that Napoli hadn't yet won the title. I missed that bit. I just saw the motorbike. I think thought, it was quite prominent. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's uh, it's my fault, not yours. Uh, what's the reaction been to Juve having their 15 points rein- reinstated? I mean, huge implications for the Champions League qualification. I presume the reaction has been mixed depending on whether you support Juventus or not. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the thing that maybe, again, people who aren't still following this closely might not have picked up is it's been overturned, but it's it's a for now. Um, what's actually happened is that the Italian Olympic Committee's um, appeals court, which is sort of the highest one they can go to within Italy, has said, we have some questions. We're not sure um, 
why a 15 point penalty was assessed and um we're sending it back to the appeals court before us to have another think about it and explain their reasons better or change the judgment and we actually don't even know fully why they did that because they have 30 days to release their ruling at which point there will be a sec a, a retrial in effect in the appeals court and anything could happen they could say no no we really do think 15 points was right and send it back or they could say okay actually maybe it's nine points because that was all the federal prosecutor asked for in the first place so the 15 points always felt a bit like it came from nowhere or they could vacate it they could do a they have everything's back on the table again and what's sort of ridiculous about the whole situation is so 30 days from that um, decision by the Italian Olympic Committee is how long they have to explain the decision. Now think about the timeframes for the next case for that to be appealed. Realistically, it looks very plausible to me. This just won't get resolved this season. But in the meantime, you have every club not knowing how this affects their Champions League race, how it affects their Europa League race, how it affects the league table. Everyone, I think, is just exhausted and frustrated at the lack of clarity on this. You also have a whole second legal case against them over deferred wages, and you have, separate to this, UEFA's own judgments. Now, UEFA, I think, will make a judgment before the end of this season based on what they've seen of the same evidence everyone's looking at from the um, Turin prosecutor, which was a whole second thread. Um, but it's possible UEFA could turn around themselves and say, independent of Serie A, we're not letting events into European competition last se next season. So there's so much still unknown about this. Yes, Juventus' reaction is, Max Allegri, as manager, has been saying all through the season to his players, we'll focus on the points on the pitch. We just got to focus on our performances. We're doing well on the pitch. And actually, for a long time, that seemed to keep them on track, although they've lost, I think, three games in a row now. Um, but I think the rest of Serie A is... is um, look, I mean, the, the, the Italian Minister for Sport said this um, the other day, um, there needs to be a, a serious look at reforming the whole process because you need to have timeframes that respect the competition. And I agree with the sentiment and also doubt that it will happen. <laughs> Burnley, uh, since we last recorded, Burnley became champions of the championship. Sheffield United promoted last night with a 2 0 win over West Brom. Well done to Paul Heckenbottom. Um, uh, our friend uh, um, uh, Hopkin looks to curl one, tweeted a great video uh, in Burnley of Josh Brownhill repeatedly lifting an inflatable trophy in the air in front of Blackburn fans who were all just like, you know, they were just caged animals. They just like, ah, lots of swearing. He was just like, going, wait, wait, just a little far away. It was very funny. Um, good place for Burnley to win the championship at Ewood Park then. Um, in League One, Plymouth and Ipswich almost up. I mean, I don't know what Bolton were playing at to lose at home to Accrington, but that was really, I mean, absolutely depressingly disappointing. Oxford also won. Terrible night on Tuesday. Uh, Cambridge go to Accrington on Saturday. Oh, oh God. Anyway, uh, we're doing a proper EFL review uh, when it's all done. We've made some space uh, to do an extra podcast for that. We'll tell you when it is, Barry, uh, at some point. Uh, James says, long-time listener, love the pod. Can't believe this of all the things is what I'm tweeting you about. Re-wing mirrors on spaceships. Aerodynamics don't matter much in space because it's in a vacuum. And yes, the Death Star does move. That's the whole climax of Star Wars as it rounds a planet to get a clean shot at the Rebel base. Keep up the marvellous work. Josh, regarding your Death Star analogy, are you under the impression that planets don't move? Uh, Dan says, uh, <laughs> rear-view mirrors won't do much good in space space it's not a flat road so threats can approach from all angles this is a very good point and mitch says has barry managed to get his light bulb changed or is he still sitting in the dark in his kitchen no i managed to change it myself although i did have a text from ellis james yesterday offering to come around and, and change it for me which is uh, very nice considering you know his 
uh, stellar celebrity status. Um, but uh, no, I'm 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 all good. I seem to have lucked out with my back. I've I've got, still got sore ribs, but I can cope okay. with them. Well, you are, you know, you, you know, it takes more than that to keep you down, Barry, doesn't it? <laughs> and that'll do for today um, glad your back's better uh, we'll finish with uh, a loop from Liam McClare which we requested I think a listener said the amount of times I say look uh, he's put it together in one of those things so we'll, that'll play out um, in the meantime thank you Jonathan for your time you're welcome thank you Nikki thanks Max I'm just going to throw in quickly before you cut me off um, because it's really hard to talk about such a complicated topic in such a short amount of time if anyone is interested more in the event situation Tobias Jones wrote a really good long read on them for the Guardian website this week so do check that out if you really do want to understand a bit more about what's gone on there no it's really good and I agree with you and uh, thank you Barry you're welcome Double Shift today we're recording after full time in the evening games today that's ready for Friday so uh, we'll chat to you then Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove our executive producer is Max Summers so look that pick is brilliant simply look so look so look that pick is brilliant this is The Guardian Thank you.